those things. And uh, I so appreciate uh, the message last night. I appreciate the life that is uh, just being imparted into us uh, and uh, through Christ. And so thankful for that. So, Brother Van Gelder, come and bring the word again tonight, please. All right. Thank you, Pastor. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 in the scripture tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, the book that I mentioned last night, Experiencing Jesus, I just mentioned it briefly again because this is an expansion of what we dealt with last night. It is Galatians 2.20. It's actually uh, expanded uh, actually greatly from what we dealt with last night, but last night's truth is in here. And then there's a number of uh, little diagrams. Uh, last night I refer to the concentric circles, so there's a number of those throughout the book uh, and uh, so forth. So I'll mention that in light of that. And uh, then there's a book on the uh, table called The Faith Response. Your view of faith affects everything. So if we don't have a right concept of faith, we're hindered before we ever get started. And yet without faith, it's impossible to please him. But with faith, it is possible. <laughs> because faith is not a work, it's dependence upon the worker. Well, the book goes into what faith is and how it operates. The first two chapters dealing more with what it is. And then the, uh, the rest of the book is how it operates. And last night, I just barely scratched the surface about uh, uh, promises versus facts, potentialities versus realities. There's a whole chapter on possessing facts, another whole chapter on possessing promises. goes on in a couple chapters on the prayer of faith, and then a final chapter on the increase of faith. There are some musical recordings on the uh, uh, table. Uh, Mary Lynn uh, uh, sings. Here's the uh, vocal uh, solo recording, fully orchestrated, beautifully uh, uh, done. And a lot of the truths that uh, we're dealing with in the meeting on the Spirit for Life are in song form here. Got some words by Fanny Crosby called Only Thee that uh, probably most of us have never heard those words. Uh, but my wife found it in some old hymnal, put it to a new tune, and puts the focus right on Jesus. Uh, there's a song called Trust Him that deals with faith. Just uh, beautiful. Then there's several songs that my wife and I have written. I've written the words. She's written the music. A Wind of the Spirit and a Life Again and some titles like that are on there as well. And then uh, she's a pianist and so there's two piano recordings. Uh, one is called What a Savior, What a Friend and then I'd Rather Have Jesus. And so these are uh, just instrumental, no vocal on those. And uh, these would be uh, uh, some uh, just various arrangements. The, uh, uh, the recording called I'd Rather Have Jesus is more of a meditative sound, you know, music that calms the heart so that you can hear from God, and then rejoices the heart so that God can hear from you, and there's a time for that, uh, and there's a time for celebrative music and so forth, but that's what that one is, and so if you have any questions, you can see us afterwards. Uh, they are available individually, or if you buy all three, there's a significant savings that way. Well, good to see you on this Monday night. Just you've had a good start to the week. We are in a series on the Spirit for Life. Started Sunday morning in the Sunday school hour uh, by looking at that God-focused life from Psalm 34. That's where it starts, getting our focus right back on God because that's where uh, faith then is, uh, is stirred up. Uh, when you look unto Jesus, right focus, he authors faith, right dependence, uh, Hebrews 12, verse 2. And so uh, then we went on the Sunday morning service and uh, uh, there um, we looked at being a glow with the indwelling Christ. What does the Spirit for life look like? Well, it looks like Jesus. <laughs> because the Spirit for life is when the Spirit fills you with the life of Christ. So the Christ life uh, would be another way to say that. In some former time periods, they would call it the higher life or the deeper life or the victorious life. Now, I want us to understand there's only one higher life. His name is Jesus. <laughs> 
There's only one deeper life. His name is Jesus. There's only one victorious life. His name is Jesus. And so last night, uh, we looked then at that provision there in Galatians 2.20, that through our crucifixion with Christ, we have been severed from that old master of indwelling sin. He is no longer our authority. Uh, we have been raised with Christ, that new man, that creation of new life, uh, that uh, part of you that is God's divine nature implanted in you, and that part of you is righteous and holy, and that's the real you. <laughs> That's why God calls you a saint 63 times in the New Testament. And that's where the Holy Spirit of Jesus moved in. So from that vantage point, the Spirit of Christ in us uh, is there to lead us and to enable us. And that brings us to what we're going to look at tonight. When you actually understand the provision of last night, it makes all the sense in the world to surrender to the provision of Christ in us. So tonight, let's do that, uh, look at that truth from a uh, passage that deals with this relationship with the Holy Spirit of Jesus. Remember, Jesus went to the throne in uh, Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. It's recorded. He was exalted to the right hand of the Father. He received the promise of the Spirit, and he sent the Spirit. So it is the Spirit of the enthroned Christ that lives in us. <laughs> That's glorious. And uh, the Holy Spirit is here as Christ's throne gift. He is here not merely in the stead of Christ, he brings Christ right to us as we're going to see. And so this is how we can have a relationship with Jesus because the spirit of Jesus indwells us. And so let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now this is a benediction. It's the Apostle Paul writing under inspiration. And uh, he is in a sense here uh, very clearly uh, uh, praying, you know, uh, interceding. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And I want us to focus in on that final part of this. The communion. Of the Holy Spirit be with you all. <laughs> Hallelujah. I want to speak tonight on friendship with the Holy Spirit. Lord, we need you tonight to once again open the eyes of our understanding. Lord, thank you for these folks that have taken time of their schedule, I'm sure in a busy week, uh, Lord, seeking your face. And Lord, we thank you that you said that you satisfy the longing soul and you fill the hungry soul with goodness. Lord, fill and feed these people tonight. Do what only you can do. Give us understanding, Lord, to the spiritual realities of truth that connect to the words. Lord, give us a, an understanding and, Lord, just a, uh, a sense of the, the blessed privilege we have of a relationship, a friendship, a partnership with you through your divine spirit. And so I plead the blood of Jesus once again to protect us from the attack of the evil one who has so sought to bring confusion to this particular truth. And so, Lord, we just send the wind of the Spirit our way tonight to blow away the fog. Meet with us. Lord Jesus, we claim our position in you at the throne far above all principality and power. And in your name that is above all names, I exercise your authority over any powers of darkness that would seek to hinder in this time tonight and trust you that that not be allowed. Lord, we need a fresh meeting with you tonight. And so, Lord, would you grant that. And, Lord, may we revel in this amazing throne gift. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In the last century, there was a medical doctor that God called to preach by the name of Walter Wilson. How many of you know the name Walter 
Wilson. This is one of the saints of the 20th century that is worth knowing. He uh, was a man that, of course, uh, got saved and uh, was growing in the Lord, was heavily involved in the work of the Lord in his church. As I say, he was a medical doctor, he was a brilliant man, and uh, yet God called him to preach, and uh, so he was used in many different ways. But in the early years of his attempts at ministry, it was frustrating. I didn't see much happen. Yes, he was saved. Yes, he was serving. He was in church. He was all of those things, but there was not an effectiveness there was a lack of carrying power. Uh, maybe you know what that's like. I certainly uh, do. And God used a conversation one day with what he calls with a man of God, a missionary from France, who asked him this question. What is the Holy Spirit to you? And so Walter Wilson replied, well, he is the third person of the Godhead. And this man of God responded, well, what you've said is true, but you did not answer my question. I asked, what is the Holy Spirit to you? What does he mean to you? And Wilson said he was dumbfounded. And after an awkward silence, he said, well, he means nothing to me at all. I know who he is, but I do not have any personal relationship with him. To which this man of God replied saying, that is why your life is barren and your ministry is fruitless. Hmm. Well, that's a confrontation. But God used it. I'll finish that story, Lord willing, uh, toward the end of the message tonight. How would you have answered the question? What is the Holy Spirit to you? What does he mean to you? Could we have done anything better than say, well, he's the third person of the Godhead? In other words, another way to ask this in the modern vernacular is, how's your relationship with the Holy Spirit? We get that. If I ask, how's your relationship with your spouse? We understand that kind of question. How's your relationship with your, uh, you know, your parents, your children, your boss, <laughs> whatever? Uh, we understand that relationship question. Okay, so how's our relationship with the Holy Spirit? For many of God's people, they know who he is, but they really do not have a personal relationship with him. And that is why so many, like Walter Wilson, are frustrated, they're fruitless, there's something missing. And so let's look at this text. May this communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The word communion in other passages is translated fellowship. It's a word that is the idea of partnership, a sharing together, a companionship, a joint participation, a functioning together as one. It is a beautiful, a relational, a friendship word. And so he says here, may this friendship, may this partnership with the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is not just for certain Christians, the so-called elite. That's a, a misnomer. No, this is for every child of God. Look, it is God's will for you to be in a dynamic friendship with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Hallelujah. Are we participating? Are we cultivating? Are we developing that rich relationship? Isn't it amazing that God desires friendship with us? But he does. And he means for it to be very close. He moved in. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit we saw last night. And so what a privilege 
And friends, when you got saved, as we saw last night, your spirit was regenerated and the Holy Spirit moved in. That's where it starts. But we must develop, cultivate a rich, vital relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, how can the believer, as the human partner, cultivate a vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit as the heavenly partner? Well, in order for us to understand our responsibility in this miraculous friendship, we must understand who the Holy Spirit is to us. That'll give us understanding and insight into our relational responsibilities to Him. So tonight, from the vast realm of Scripture on this subject, let's hone in on three affirmations, biblical affirmations, of who the Holy Spirit is to us, to you. Number one, He is the divine friend. In other words, in this partnership, there's a human partner, there's a divine partner, and obviously the Holy Spirit is the divine partner. He is the divine friend. That means we are talking about a relationship with God. For the Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, and He is the Spirit of the Father. And since the Holy Spirit is the divine friend, then you and I must honor the Holy Spirit as God. (laughs) Because He is. And so we must honor him as God, along with honoring the Father and the Son. We see the Godhead mentioned right here in our verse. Now let's just ask a couple of questions to guide us through this, because there actually is more confusion on this than sometimes we realize. First question, is the Holy Spirit truly God? What do you think? Absolutely. We get that doctrinally. But do we get it practically? In other words, we're Trinitarians. And we believe, and the Bible makes it clear, there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So, yes, we believe the Holy Spirit is God. But I am afraid that often we treat the Holy Spirit as a second-class citizen in the Godhead. And many have become afraid of the Holy Spirit. Some, because of others who in the name of the Holy Spirit have gone into strange and wild fire, uh, don't want anything to do with that, and so they kind of run the other way, and we're missing out on our relationship as a result. I was preaching a series like this some years ago in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, we had a Q&A time <laughs> one night, and uh, the lead deacon of the church, a uh, great guy, just being honest, he said, you know, he said, you're right. He said, I kind of feel like, you know, we fundamentalists, we have the Father and the Son, and the Charismatics have the Holy Spirit. And it's been killing us. And what has happened is we acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is God, but we treat him as less than God. Being afraid, we minimize and neglect and ignore, and we're in trouble because he is God. The scripture says in Psalm 139, whither shall I flee from thy spirit? There's not a place you and I can go where the Holy Spirit is not there. Why? He's omnipresent. Well, only God is omnipresent. He's called the eternal spirit. Hebrews 9, 14. Well, only God is eternal. And so, yes, the Holy Spirit is truly God. And so, that needs to be more than just doctrine. 
in our practice. See, this is the point here. We need to honor him as God along with the Father and the Son. So second question in this regard, which cuts to the heart of it, should the Holy Spirit be glorified as God? Well, let me ask a question. Is he God? <laughs> well, then the answer should be obvious. And yet, I had a preacher come to me one time. He was rather exercised. <laughs> and he said, you can't. He said, you, you, you can't glorify the Holy Spirit. And you could just see as he said it, it just got <laughs> more and more uh, uh, frustration was coming out. Fascinating. Where did he get that idea? Where does it say that in the Bible? <laughs> now, the Bible is very clear on a lot of this. I mean, it's fascinating to me how sometimes we just, because of cultural things that happen, uh, we overreact, and that, uh, that's kind of natural to us. But, you know, there are times when the Scripture just says, Honor God, and doesn't name Father, Son, or Spirit. But when it says that, would it not include Father, Son, and Spirit? <laughs> Well, obviously, because that's who he is. One God, three persons. Part of the confusion comes from a statement that the Lord Jesus made in John 16, verse 14, where Jesus said, He, the Spirit, shall glorify me. Now, it is most certainly true that the ministry of the Spirit glorifies the Son. He testifies of the Son in John 15. And so, yes, the Spirit glorifies the Son. But... Jesus never said we're not to glorify the Spirit as God. That's where people make a jump that is actually not in the text. A.W. Tozer puts it this way. Did you know that the persons of the Godhead are not jealous of each other? <laughs> Wilson said in his own testimony he was kind of afraid that if he did too much with the Holy Spirit it would offend Jesus and the Father. And See, that's... That's kind of the wrong idea that has crept into our thinking. When the reality is, from Genesis to Revelation, and this is a wonderful and rich study, each person of the Godhead glorifies the other two. It's a fascinating study. Now, another phrase that gets misconstrued is in John 16, that same chapter where Jesus is teaching on the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16. And in verse 13, Jesus says, He, the Spirit, shall not speak of himself. So here's the conclusion. See? Jesus said the Holy Spirit shall not speak about himself. Therefore, we shouldn't talk about him either. But that's not what Jesus said. He said the Holy Spirit shall not speak of himself. The little word of is a word that is the idea of from. The preposition that is actually used there. So the, Jesus said the Holy Spirit shall not speak from himself. And that's true. He does not speak from himself apart from the Father and the Son. They work in perfect unison. But yes, he spoke about himself. How do you think we know about him? <laughs> How do we get the scripture? Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the, huh, the Holy Spirit. So he's the author. Do you know in this book, the Word of God, the Bible, the Holy Spirit is mentioned directly 347 times. 261 of those are in the New Testament. So yes, he spoke about himself. That's how we know about him. Now let me hasten to say that those numbers are far exceeded by a much greater number of references to the Lord Jesus Christ in keeping with the Spirit's ministry to glorify the Son and to testify of the Son. But, yes, he spoke about himself. That's how we know about him. 
Not only that, in John 14, Jesus said, I speak not of myself. So if you take John 16, 13, he, the Spirit, shall not speak of himself to mean you can't talk about the Holy Spirit, then to be consistent when Jesus said, I speak not of myself in John 14, then you couldn't talk about Jesus. That proves this is a wrong idea. And I'm going to tell you something, friends. Ideas matter. And so, again, this is confusion that has come in uh, that uh, we need to get cleared up. Here's another question. Who revealed the Father? Well, the answer there would be the Son. Remember what Jesus said to Philip in John 14? He said, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so uh, the Son revealed the Father. Jesus is the express revelation of the Father. He revealed the Father. Okay, who reveals the Son? Ah, the Holy Spirit. Because that's what Jesus is talking about in John 16, verse 14. He shall glorify me for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. So the Holy Spirit takes of what is Christ and shows him unto us. Just as the Son reveals the Father, the Spirit reveals the Son. Now, why is that important? Do you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 5? He said, you are to honor the Son as you honor the Father. Why? Well, the Son is the revelation of the Father. And he goes on to say, if you do not honor the Son, Jesus, you're not honoring the Father. Why? Because the Son is the revelation of the Father. And if you say you're honoring the Father, but you don't honor the Son, then you're not honoring the Father. Does that make sense? So, to give a very modern-day example, if a Jehovah's Witness says that they're honoring Jehovah, the Father, and then they deny the deity of Jesus Christ, they're grossly deceived. Because Jesus is the revelation of the Father. Do we get that? Okay, so let's take the logic of Jesus in John 5 and go a step further. If we desire to honor the Son, Colossians says that in all things he might have the preeminence. And yet the Spirit reveals the Son. Okay, if you have to honor the Son in order to honor the Father because he reveals the Father, if we then want to honor the Son, and that should be our passion, that in all things he might have the preeminence, and yet the Spirit reveals the Son, then in order to honor the Son, whom must we also honor in order to honor Jesus? The Holy Spirit. And here's my point. If we say we're honoring Jesus and then downplay the Holy Spirit, we are deceived. Big time. And we're actually not honoring Jesus. What a master tactic move of Satan to get some people to go into wildfire in the name of the Spirit so that others go into no fire in the name of the Spirit. Because when you do not honor the Spirit, you're actually not honoring Jesus either. One last question in this regard. What is the Holy Spirit like? Better worded, who is the Holy Spirit like? Well, in Philippians 1.19, he's called the Spirit of Jesus. I love this. Do you know in John 14, when Jesus, just a few hours before the betrayal on the cross, he's there with his disciples, and he says to them, I'm leaving, but I'm sending another comforter, even the Spirit of truth. And he says, and you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Next verse. I will not leave you comfortless as orphans. 
I will come to you. Did you get that? He said, I'm leaving, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And you know him because he dwells with you and he shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. That proves to us that the Holy Spirit is not here merely in the stead of Christ. He's bringing the very life of Christ from the throne right into us. Hallelujah. There's your victorious life. His name is Jesus, and he's here in us by the Spirit. That's why the Scripture can say your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And yet, as we saw last night, Christ lives in me. Wow. Now, if you desire to honor Jesus, then get to know the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Remember some years ago, I was very baffled because I just did not sense that I had a close relationship with the Lord Jesus. Now, I was saved. I was on my way to heaven. I had trusted Christ as my Savior. Now, I was in my adult life. I'm in ministry. And I just did not sense this close relationship with the Lord Jesus. And I'd read about others, and I'm thinking, why? They knew him far more. What's wrong here? And in the goodness of God, the Lord led me to do a study on the Holy Spirit from Genesis to Revelation. (laughs) Oh, What a time. Genesis to Revelation, just looking for where the Scripture mentions the Holy Spirit, and I'm making notes. And so the months are rolling by as I'm uh, reading the Scripture and going all the way through and making these notes. So here I am in a study on the Holy Spirit. Guess what happened? The sun rose. (laughs) You remember the Spirit testifies of the sun. The Spirit glorifies the sun. And so here I was studying the Spirit, and guess what? The sun rose. (laughs) That's what the Spirit does. And so, friends, the truth is, if you have a desire to get to know Jesus, to have an intimate relationship with Jesus, then get to know the Holy Spirit, and you'll soon be crying out, Ah, what a friend we have in Jesus. That's how it works. Otherwise, we are grossly deceived and wondering why God seems so far away and Jesus seems so distant. You see, the Holy Spirit is the divine friend. So let's honor him as God. And you'll find that Christ will become vibrant and real to your heart. Number two, the Holy Spirit is a personal friend. He's a personal partner. This is a relationship not only with deity. This is a relationship with a person. A person. The text says, may the communion of the Holy Ghost. The definite article is there, emphasizing his person. We already saw the word communion here. And that is a word that uh, means fellowship. See, it's mutual. It's interactive. It's reciprocal. It's sharing together. Okay, that's our word. That means it's very personal. So, a couple of thoughts. The Holy Spirit is a personality. (laughs) You know, I've met many of you, but it takes a while to cultivate each other's personality. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit moved in. You met him. But it takes effort, time, intentionality to cultivate personality. And so we need to understand the Holy Spirit is a person. In other words, the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. Now, not every Christian, but many Christians know enough intellectually to say, oh, that's right, yeah, he's a person. And so, yeah, they nod, agreement, okay, he's not an impersonal force. Then why do we say things like this? You know, something told me 
You want to wait a second. He's not some thief. <laughs> He's someone. And when we say things like that, it actually betrays our wrong idea. <laughs> that though we intellectually acknowledge him as a person, in reality, we're actually more viewing him as an impersonal force. Now, friends, the concept in Star Wars of may the force be with you is not the same as the Holy Spirit. <laughs> because the Holy Spirit is a person. That's what we need to see. And it really does make a difference. You know, sometimes people think, well, you know, kind of maybe view him more as a, an inanimate object, like a signpost with an arrow, go this way. No, that's not how it is. He's a person who speaks and he says, this is the way. Walk ye in it. See, he's a personal guide, not a signpost. You know, in John 14, 15, and 16, when the Lord Jesus was teaching on the Holy Spirit, uh, the largest concentration of teaching on the Spirit in the Word of God, and uh, repeatedly the Lord Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as Him and He. And friends, that means when you got saved, when you were born again, He, not it, moved into you. So the Holy Spirit is a person, therefore He him, not it. And yet, I'm in meetings all across the country just like this, uh, much of the year, and in good congregations, good churches, regularly. In other words, this happens every couple of weeks. I'm in a conversation, and the person I'm talking to will refer to the Holy Spirit as it. Happens all the time. Now, suppose after the service tonight, Pastor and I are standing at the back, and we're having a conversation about you. <laughs> and as you go by, the antennas go up. Mm, I heard my name. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you slow your pace. you got to catch as much juice as you can as you're going by. Is this good or is this bad? <laughs> and suppose every time we referred to you, we referred to you as it. <laughs> And it said this, you know, and it did this. <laughs> Let me ask you, would that be offensive to you? Sure it would. Then maybe we need to get right with the Holy Spirit. He, not it. The scripture says, grieve not the spirit. Only a person can be grieved. And on and on we could go. So the point is, since he is a person, we need to treat him as a person. So he's a personality. A second thought in this regard is, a friendship is a relationship. And a relationship demands relating. Now that was deep, wasn't it? But friends, honestly, if you're going to have a good relationship, you have to relate. And so here we are. We must commune. That's our word. It's a relationship. Now, when, uh, you know, suppose this was a marriage seminar, uh, you know, and, and we're asking, okay, what are the key ingredients to cultivating a good, vibrant, healthy relationship between husband and wife? Now, we could say a lot of things, but what's going to be at the top of the list? 
Communication. Do you know what? Every audience knows that. God put it in the human psyche. We know communication's at the top if you want good, vibrant relationship, whether it's husband, wife, parents, and kids, whatever the case may be. So let's talk about communication. Does the Holy Spirit communicate with us? Absolutely. How about Romans 8, 16? The Spirit bears witness with our spirit. Ah, so he communicates. Now notice where he communicates, with our spirit. So back to the concentric circles, it's at our core. It's not the circumference of our being. It's not uh, outside audible voices. That's where Satan can counterfeit. It's the innermost being. And notice it says the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are. Not that we feel like, but that we are the children of God. So when he communicates, it's not a feeling. It's a knowing. Which can help us discern. And clear out the impressions that come from the enemy to try to get us to do foolish things that discredit the cause of Christ. And so the point is he speaks. So when Vice President Pence was being bashed the other day for hearing from God or having God communicate or speak to him, uh, that wasn't fair. Because if you're a child of God, God speaks to you too. And every time the word of God comes alive, it's God speaking to you. And there are times when you're just somewhere and there's several people and the Holy Spirit says, give a gospel tract to that one. That's God speaking to you, right? <laughs> and so, yes, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. All right. Can we speak to him? Well, is he God? <laughs> and is he a person? <laughs> then the answer should be obvious and yet satan has tried to cloud this thing up to keep us from a personal relationship which totally keeps us from the spirit-filled life that's why this is so important walter wilson puts it this way personal presence automatically carries with it the privileges of conversation in fact i have a friend who years ago when he was a young man i heard walter wilson when wilson was an old man and wilson got up at this big conference center it was here in the state of california i don't know where it was uh, but he said to the audience that day ah how many of you uh, talked with the Holy Spirit today? And out of all these people, like three hands went up. He said, you know, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit is always with you. And to have a person always with you and you never speak to them is not very nice. <laughs> Which helps us, you know, understand, wait a second here. Now look, what kind of marriage... What kind of marriage would a man and wife have if only one uh, partner did all the talking? I won't go where we could go with this, but <laughs> you got to have two-way interaction. I mean, somewhere along the way, the other person's got to talk. <laughs> okay, that all makes sense, but does the Bible tell us to communicate with the Holy Spirit? How about our text? May the communion... May the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Look, the word communion, uh, fellowship. See, sharing together. It's reciprocal. It is mutual. It demands two-way communication. It demands it. And that's an inspired word. Not only that, that's explicit. Implicitly, in John 14, 15, and 16, the Lord Jesus repeatedly uh, taught... Uh, that the Holy Spirit was another comforter. And the word another means another of the same kind. So let's think about this. When Jesus walked this earth, did he speak with his disciples? 
Well, sure. Did they speak with him? Absolutely. So if the Holy Spirit is here, another of the same kind, may we not interact with him in the same way the disciples did with Jesus? Absolutely. And just like those disciples, uh, especially that, uh, that inner circle and the apostle John got to know Jesus. Okay, We have that privilege to get to know the spirit of Jesus and let's get to know Jesus. We have the same privilege. Now, the issue is communication, not necessarily the concept of praying. When a husband and wife are communicating, they're not praying to each other. Well, occasionally the wife is asking for the wallet, but generally we would not call it prayer. Okay. It's communication. But since I brought it up on purpose, is it ever improper to address the Holy Spirit in prayer? Let me word it this way. Is it proper, improper to ever? I didn't say only but to occasionally address the Holy Spirit in prayer. Is, is, would that be improper? Well, is he God? <laughs> then obviously it's not improper. In fact, it's very proper. You say, well, does this ever happen in the Bible? How about Ezekiel 37? God commanded the prophet Ezekiel to pray to the Holy Spirit. And the prayer is recorded, Ezekiel 37, 9. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And in verse 14, a couple of verses later, we're told that that breath is the Holy Spirit. And so there is a prayer to the Holy Spirit, uh, and God the Father commanded Ezekiel uh, to pray that prayer. How many of you have the song, Spirit of the Living God, Fall Fresh on Me? That's a prayer to the Spirit. How about, Spirit of God, descend upon my heart? That's a prayer to the Spirit. How about, breathe on me, breath of God? <laughs> That's a prayer to the Spirit. How about, whole, whole, oh, Holy Ghost, revival comes from thee, J. Edmund See, all of those are prayers to the Spirit. So obviously the hymn writers of the past understood this, but in our day there's a lot of mixed up thinking here. And uh, sometimes people say, well, yeah, but what about the Lord's Prayer? Doesn't it say we're to say our Father? Okay, in Matthew's account it says that Jesus said, after this manner pray ye. He didn't say this is the only prayer to pray. And now think with me. If you take from the Lord's Prayer, our Father that you cannot pray to the Spirit, then based on the same logic, you couldn't pray to the Son either. Right? Wow. I know people who teach that you cannot pray to the Spirit and you cannot pray to Jesus. You know, I know a lot of people that got saved asking Jesus to save them. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> and you know, in the Gospels, though there's no Old Testament precedent at all, it's not there, but in the Gospels, when Jesus was on earth, guess what? Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Prayer after prayer. Even with no Old Testament precedent. And friends, even though there's not a lot of New Testament precedent, though there's some, and there's already the passage I mentioned in Ezekiel 37, Jesus ascended and sent a spirit. So the person of God that we are closest connected to is the Holy Spirit because he's in us, as Jesus teaches here, then obviously, we can not only talk to him, there are times when it would be appropriate to actually address him in prayer. Not all the time, by any means, but at least some of the time. Do you know there are 13 prayers recorded in the book of Acts? Twelve of them do not say our Father. Fascinating. 
They say Lord. And in some cases, it's very clear it is not talking about the Father. It's talking about the Son. And remember, as we saw on Sunday morning, uh, the passage in uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse uh, 17, now the Lord is that Spirit. He's called Lord as well. How about what Jesus said in Matthew 9, 38? Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So we have to ask the question, who's the Lord of the harvest? Well, when Jesus ascended and sent his spirit on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, 3,000 were harvested. Hmm. Maybe the Holy Spirit's the Lord of the harvest. Who was it in Acts chapter 8 that said to Philip, join yourself to this chariot so that the Ethiopian eunuch could be harvested? We're specifically told that was the Holy Spirit. Who was it in Acts chapter 10 that said to Peter, go with these men, nothing doubting, to get him to Cornelius' house to open the door to the Gentile harvest? We're specifically told that was the Spirit. Who was it in Acts 13 that said to the church at Antioch, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them? The first missionary journey, harvest, harvest, harvest. We're specifically told that was the Holy Spirit. Who was it in Acts 16 that forbade Paul's team from going this direction to get them over into the Macedonian harvest? We're specifically told that was the Holy Spirit. So, who's the Lord of the harvest? Well, by implication, the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest. In other words, it's okay to talk to the Holy Spirit about the harvest. Do you know in your neighborhood the Holy Spirit knows who he is working on and who's responding? And he can guide you to where he's working? You see, that's very real. You know, if you were in a museum of ancient artifacts and three people are with you and one of the three is designated as your personal guide and that one says, oh, you got to see this and uh, they open up the subject and show you this. Now come over here and they open up the subject and show you this and yet the entire time, though they are your personal guide, you ignore them and you only talk to the other two. <laughs> and that's what many have done with the Godhead. We ignore the Spirit. And it's why the Spirit for Life is just kind of some words out here. And it's not vibrant and real when God wants it to be vibrant and very real. Now, please do not misunderstand what I'm trying to say. Much of the time, we're going to say our Father. In fact, according to Romans 8, it is the Holy Spirit who in us moves us so that we can even cry out, Abba, Father. So much of the time, if not most, yes. And what a privilege that we can say, our Father. It's tremendous. But it doesn't mean we can only say that. So I'm certainly not saying let's downplay the Father. No way. That's a privilege to be able to say our Father. Obviously, this does not mean downplay the Son. No, that in all things he, Jesus, might have the preeminence. Colossians 1.18. What I am saying is, let's stop downplaying the Holy Spirit. This is not a matter of getting out of balance. This is a matter of getting back into balance. That's what we need. And here's what I have found over the years. When we wake up to this, it makes a big difference. Now, don't get all bent out of shape. Somebody said, well, how am I going to remember all this? Like one guy in Ireland raised his hand. He said, he said can I just say, Lord, and let God address it to the right one? <laughs> We don't need to get all bent out of shape. We do need to stop willfully ignoring the Holy Spirit. And over the years, I have seen on several occasions when God's people 
get right with the Spirit about not really treating him as God and not treating him as a person. Revival takes place. So he's a personal friend. He's a divine friend. He's a personal friend. And finally, he's the senior friend. In this partnership, there's a senior and there's a junior. You know, in the business world, when there's a partnership, you've got to know who the senior is and you've got to know who the junior is or you're going to have all sorts of trouble. And obviously, the Holy Spirit is the senior partner. And therefore, we need to yield to him as the senior partner, as Lord. And that is a matter of yielding to both his leadership and his power, or what we could call enablement. And sometimes we only get half of this and we wonder why we can't go anywhere. And so it's important that we get this. Some people say, well, I surrender all. I yield to his leadership. And I'm going to do it. No, you're not. (laughs) Because you can't. In other words, we say we're going to do his will, but we depend on our own power to do it, which means we're not doing his will. You get that? There's a deception. Other people go to God for his power. God, we've got to have your power for our will. How many times we say this to God? Now, God, here's the plans. <laughs> Would you bless them? And we're not quite that blatant, but that's about what we're doing. And so we're going to God for his power, but it's more for our will. So that messes it up. But if you can get these two truths together, <laughs> you know the song, Trust and Obey? See, trust. Take his power so that you are enabled supernaturally. Galatians 2.20, we saw it last night, to obey. See, just obey is just you, and you don't have the power to obey. And either you fall flat on your face, or all you do is produce form, the form of godliness, which does mean there is a form, but you deny the power thereof. Or just trust. That's a deception too, because if you never take it to obedience, then it's not really trusting. It's easy believism on sanctification and service. But if you take and then act. Remember the last two steps last night? So we're tying in. The Christ lives in me, dot, 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 by faith. Remember that? And we broke it into the two steps. You take the provision so that you can obey. You're now empowered. Why? Because now it's I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Okay, so we take his power to do his will. And when that gets together, it gets exciting. But understand, you both have, you have his leadership level, his will, and his enablement level, uh, enablement level, his way. Now, when it comes to obeying the leadership of the Holy Spirit, if there is known sin in our lives, we're not obeying. Because <laughs> how do we know? <laughs> well, it's because of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. <laughs> and so there's known sin. We're already aware of it. And so if we're hanging on to bitterness or hanging on to a grudge or hanging on to some aspect of the world or whatever, whatever, We're violating the friendship. He's the leader. And when we knowingly hang on to sin, then obviously we're not following his leadership. Does that make sense? How about the things that we call the doubtful things? The gray areas. There are some things that are gray. Do you know if everything in the scripture was black and white, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit? Just give me the box, give me the list. (laughs) That's not it. God left some things not as clear. 
Now, when this happens, here's what a lot of people do. Well, you know, good men debate on this. This one's not clear, so I'm just going to do what I want to. Whoa, we just missed it. And in that sense, who are we giving the benefit of the doubt, God or Satan? That must grieve the spirit. If there's a doubtful thing, the idea is away with it until you're convinced by the spirit through the word. And once you are, then your conscience is clear and you can move forward accordingly. In other words, the remember Sunday morning the importance of the Word and the Spirit? See, that's the deal. The Word provides the absolutes. When God says, thou shalt not commit adultery, there's no way around it. Adultery is wrong. Thou shalt not steal. There's no way around it. Stealing is wrong. Make, it, make sense? Thou shalt not bear a false witness. Lying is wrong. <laughs> okay, those are absolutes. Flee cornication. You know, uh, uh, do all things without murmurs and disputing. Whoa. <laughs> that one hits close to home. Those are all clear statements in the Word of God. They're absolute. Now, some of them, uh, well, I won't even go into that right But they're the absolute. So think of this. Uh, when we were driving across Arizona and so forth, you know, you have these, these mesas, these plateaus, where it looks like a big knife cut off the top of the mountain. <laughs> okay. That's the picture. The absolutes are the plateau. But on that plateau, there are some variables within the absolutes. That's where we need the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And you know, all of us have different backgrounds um, based on the choices we've made, especially early on in life. This person may have this weakness. This person may not have that weakness at all, but they have this weakness. Are you with me? Okay. Based on all that, the Holy Spirit knows us personally. He lives in us. <laughs> so he's going to know how to lead us on the plateau to keep us far enough away from the edge so we don't go over into compromise. Because if we violate the absolutes, that's disobedience. That's compromise, okay. But up there on the plateau, it is a plateau. Uh, there's going to be different spots where the Holy Spirit may lead us to. You can call it a guardrail, you can call it a standard, whatever the words you want to use. Applications, okay. And so the Spirit leads us to apply things and to draw some lines, to have some guardrails, to protect us from going over the edge. And he does that for our sake. And sometimes it's not for our sake, it's for those around us because of whom we influence. Now my point is this. When the Holy Spirit leads you to an application like that, you need to obey him. But understand, he may lead somebody else differently than you. And they need the freedom to obey the Holy Spirit too. Now, nobody has the freedom to get off the plateau. That's called disobedience. You see, compromisers make the absolutes variable. Legalists make the variables absolute. In other words, well, if i got to draw the line here, then everybody does. If i got to be miserable, so does everybody else. <laughs> And you no longer have a plateau, you have a pinnacle and a halo. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, my point is, when the Holy Spirit of God leads you, obey him. And see, up there, it's going to vary. And it's okay for others to be different, and it's okay for you to be different. Obey the Spirit. That's the key. There were times when my dad said, look, we got some convictions that nobody else is going to have. It's okay. Oh, okay, it's okay. <laughs> in, in other words, let's obey God. 
He knows us better than we do. He knows where we need to draw a line. That's why some men still use flip phones. Some of them is not because they're dumb and can't use a smartphone. It's, forgive the words, but it's because in some cases the Holy Spirit knows that for them, they don't need that access. And even with the smartphone, you've got to have appropriate protections and guardrails, and husbands and wives can figure a lot of this out, and so forth and so on. My point is, we need to obey. But God may lead this one a little bit differently than this one because of the background, because of the weakness. This guy may have a weakness, so God draws the line more strict. This guy doesn't, so the, guy, the line is less strict, but all of them are on the plateau. Does that make sense? Now, friends, whether it's music, whether it's dress, whether it's technology, whether it's entertainment, all that kind of stuff, it's not a free-for-all. Well, there is a cleft that leads us into sin, and, and worldliness always saps us spiritually. I don't want to be worldly. Whosoever there shall be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. You can't get much stronger language of that in James chapter 4. I don't want that. And worldliness is, worldliness is anything that is influenced by the God of this world who always seeks to break our fellowship with the one true living God and pull us away from him. And so forth and so on. But the point is the Holy Spirit knows us and so let's obey him. Obey his leadership. Obey him. He knows what he's doing. No more known sin. If there's a doubtful thing, away with it until you're convinced by the Spirit from the Word. Then you can go forward in freedom accordingly. Let's do what God wants us to do. Let's stop grieving the Spirit. Let's obey him. Let's stop quenching the Spirit. Let's always say yes. See, he's the leader. And he's the enabler. Back to our story. Now you know we're almost done. Walter Wilson, boy, that day, he realized, wow, this man, he's got something here. I don't really have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And he began to seek, and he began to search. You know, if you seek him, he will be found of you. And in the mercy of God, he was at a, uh, a service where James M. Gray from Chicago, Moody Church, was preaching on Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brother, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, and so on. So uh, he goes on as he's preaching, and he says, it says you're to present your body to God. And he said, which person of the Godhead lives in you? That's the Spirit. So he said, you're to present your body to the Spirit. Ah. And he said, will you do this tonight? Walter Wilson went home deeply impressed with the fact that this was what was lacking and missing in his life. He opened his Bible to Romans 12.1. Put his finger on that verse. Nothing magical about that. It's just what he did. He was flat on the floor. <laughs> but then he addressed the Holy Spirit and essentially said, I give you my eyes to see through, my ears to hear through, my tongue to speak through, my hands to work through, my feet to grow through. In other words, he was casting his dependence on the Spirit. When you present yourself to God, what is that? You're casting your dependence on God so that he can transform you from the inside out. Verse 2, presentation, transformation. Well, the next morning, 
He told his wife, this is going to be a wonderful day. This is going to be a wonderful day. He said, last night, I presented myself to the Spirit of God. I transferred my dependence on him to lead and empower me. And he said, I, I, I gave him my entire being to use for the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus. You see, it's all balanced and straight. And he said, I know he's going to use me. He will use me without a doubt. And his wife, excited, said, well, call me when something special happens. Three hours later, he had the privilege of calling home to his wife and saying, hey, two ladies came into the office. The Spirit of God said, speak, witness to them. He said, I began to witness to them. He said, both of them were wide open. And both of them trusted Christ. And that began a whole new phase in the life of Walter Wilson. You can look his name up today, Walter Wilson, just what the doctor ordered. That's just one of a number of his titles. He's written book after book on just testimonies, soul-winning stories, divine appointments, God on the move. One of the most fruitful Christians in the 20th century. Barrenness, fruitfulness. Why? Because of friendship with the Holy Spirit. Let's enter in to that same friendship. Let's present ourselves to the Spirit's leadership. Let's trust His power to transform us and enable us to obey his will. And friends, the truth of the matter is, you saw last night, Christ lives in me by faith. When we trust his power to obey his will, we're, we're depending on him so that his life is manifest in ours. And just like you believe on Jesus to receive him in salvation, this is believing on Jesus to access him in sanctification and service. That's how you can be filled with the Spirit of God and know it. It's by faith. When you're trusting Him, His power to obey His will, then the Spirit is imparting to you the very life of Jesus. You're abiding in Christ. You're staying in the basket. You are trusting Him. You're feeding on Him and all of His reality and now uh, animates your personality and that's when you experience Jesus. So let's enter in in earnest to our amazing friendship with the Holy Spirit. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Thank you for your kind attention tonight. A couple of things uh, as we bring this to a close. First of all, back on the first point, the Spirit is the divine friend. And thus we must honor him as God along with the Father and the Son. I wonder who would say, preacher, you know, I know the Holy Spirit is God. But I fear that I've fallen into that, uh, that deception of not really treating him as God, kind of treating him as a second-class citizen, at least, in the Godhead. And I realize, wait a second, that's not right. He's God. And I want to know Jesus, and I want to honor Jesus. And I see tonight that if the Spirit reveals the Son, then I need to get to know the Spirit. I need to honor the Spirit so that I do honor the Son. And God has stirred me on that first point to actually honor the Spirit as God along with the Father and the Son. If that's you, would you raise the hand, please? Yes, 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 yes. Amen, yes. Tremendous. It's life-changing. How about the personal friend? Friends, he's not an impersonal force. He is not it. He's a person. He talks to us, and we are privileged to fellowship with him. And yet there's been so much confusion out there, perhaps you've been missing out on this. And it's hindered your whole 
experience of the spirit-filled life. And so you'd say tonight, you know what? God's speaking to me. I remember some Filipinos in the Philippines one time uh, in a prayer meeting where God moved and they cried out, Oh, Holy Spirit, forgive us for not treating you as a person. I wonder who tonight would say, Preacher, you know, I think that God has convicted me in the same way. I haven't really treated the Holy Spirit as a person and I see it. And God's speaking to me about that. Would you raise the hand, please? Yes, 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 yes. Amen. God. Finally, we saw that he is the senior partner. Friend, is there known sin? That violates the, the partnership. It means we're disobeying the senior. When we trust our own power, we're messing up. We've been dealing with that over and over again. You see, God left things. He made some things black and white. There's the absolutes. There's our plateau. But some other things are gray, so we can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and he knows us. He knows where you need to draw a line. He knows where your family needs to draw a line. He knows where I need to draw a line. All those things. He knows us. Well, what a privilege. This isn't, this is bad. This is awesome. As he tailors certain things to, to enhance, to help us, to grow us, and in some cases to, to enhance our ministry to others. Wow. And when he says, you know, that's, that's, that's not good in your life. That's hurting you. Away with it. You know, the obvious should be obvious. But those other things that are not so obvious, but he speaks, let's obey him. Sometimes it's some DVDs that he says, you know, that's not helping you. So away with it. Oh, there's so many different applications we could name here. But let's obey him. Let's trust his power to obey as well. Same uh, it's not just the negative things, but the positive things, the gospel. Let's speak when he says speak. I wonder who would say, you know what? When it comes to trusting his power to obey his will, and that's a big subject, but God's speaking to me. I need to really recognize he's the leader. I need to obey him. And he's the enabler. I need to trust his power. And God is dealing with me along those lines. Would you raise the hand, please? Yes, 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 yes. Amen. God bless. Now, Lord, I pray that you bless in these final moments. May we talk to you now about what you're talking to us about. Lord, may we do business. May we honor you, blessed spirit, as God. Treat you as a person and yield to you as Lord, trusting your power to obey your will. Lord, if there's an area of life where there's no sin, may we get it right right now. May we just side with you that the blood of Jesus might clean us up. Lord, if there's an area where we've kind of just used the doubtful thing to do what we want to instead of find out what you want, may we come to you about that and let you decide. Not enough, Lord, I pray. Take this far beyond this night. Lord, there's probably some in this audience that need to do what Walter Wilson did and present everything, eyes, ears, tongue, hands, feet, to you, blessed spirit, to use for the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus. So, Lord, may we right now talk to you. God speaking to you when you take this time to talk to God. If you'd like, you can come and get on your knees up here, kneel where you're at, whatever you feel led to do. But let's talk to God.
blessed Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are the Spirit of Jesus, bringing that throne life right to us. Lord, I pray that we would follow you, that we would love you, that we would trust you. And in so doing, may the Lord Jesus, the Son, rise in our hearts so that we're crying out, not just with pious facade, but genuine reality. Oh, what a friend we have. 